Greg Pickle to my right. I'm Bob Flounders. The Penn State Blitz podcast moves on even after the regular season ends, Greg. A lot to get to. A couple of Penn State players are leaving. A couple of Penn State players are staying. we got some all Big Ten defensive news involving the one and only Micah Parsons. We're going to talk about Penn State and the college football playoff rankings. And we're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. Okay, Greg, I'm counting this as two and two in terms of departures and people who are staying. Okay. I'm including Justin Shorter. Okay. I'm not expecting him back. I don't know about you. So the scorecard is two and two. They got two guys staying, two guys going. We're going to talk about that. But you had an interesting uh, take on this. You think it's a much more structured, much more organized process on the Penn State end. Yeah. I don't know if it has to do with what happened in the transfer portal last year or the way that players decided to leave last year. But you see something at work here where maybe Penn State is trying to structure this thing. Yeah, so I could be reading too much into it. And keep in mind, we're taping this Wednesday at 11. So there could be some guys staying or going by these things. There's no rhyme or reason to when this announcement comes. So just keep that in mind as you listen to this. But it Mm -hmm. does seem to me, Bob, that after – I think James Franklin knew it was a perception problem last year with all the craziness that happened in, what, about 72 hours after the Citrus Bowl loss. Yes. So I do think that they very much tried to – Get out in front of these and have got, I think you, all you have to do is notice how these announcements are being made. They're not typed up in a notes app or right. a Facebook statement or anything like that. They're program produced graphics, even for Etor Gross Mottos deciding to leave. Right. Obviously, Penn State is involved with the making of these graphics. So they had clearly figured this out ahead of time, how they were going to do it. These guys just didn't come to these decisions, I don't think, over the last three or four days. It was probably pretty well known. What was going on? So I think that James Franklin, and he's been very good about this during his six years at Penn State, Bob, he saw a problem, whether it was a perceived problem or a real problem, it doesn't really matter. And I think he found a way to address it to make this a little bit more streamlined and a little bit more clear. Will we get some guys that make decisions after the bowl game? Yeah, no question. Um, But I think as much as they can control this kind of thing, it feels like they did. Okay, so let's run through it. Uh, I said we're going to include Justin Shorter, who Mm -hmm. announced for the transfer portal last week. The five-star recruit in the 2018 class never really got going at Penn State. He could always change his mind, but the fact that he did it in season, the fact that he's no longer on the roster, he's gone Etor Gross Matos just a couple of minutes after he was named to the (laughs) uh, first team All-Big Ten defense for the second consecutive year. Mm -hmm. They have the statement ready to roll. He's going to play in the bowl game, which is significant, and then he's going to get ready for the 2020 draft. He could be a first-round pick. Now let's talk about the guys who are staying, which is probably what Penn State fans are pretty excited about. Pat Fryermuth, mm-hmm. second-year sophomore, but because of his the way that his prep career played out, uh, he was actually eligible for the 2020 NFL draft, Correct. or at least he believed he was. Yeah. And Michael Mennett, the fourth-year center from Exeter, had a really good year, a little beat up at the end. He might have been tempted a little bit to leave school early. He said he's coming back as well. How do you read this? Anything surprise you? I think we were both expecting Etor to go. Yes. He's also not 100% healthy. I'm wondering even if he's going to be able to play in the bowl right. game. That looked like his left arm, lower left arm or shoulder was bothering him. I think he heard it in the Ohio State game. But if you look at the comings and goings, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess if you think Etor might be a six-week kind of deal, he yep. could be ready. But I don't know. I could easily see yes. him being suddenly unhealthy when that game right. rolls around. And I wouldn't blame either side if that was the yeah. case. So Suit we'll just up, have maybe, to, yes. yeah, yeah. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I mean, he was playing with a cast on his wrist. It looked like at one point. I mean, I think he was pretty 
pretty yeah. well banged up, so he'll probably just wait and see if he gets a senior bowl invite, and that might be the next time he hits the field. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, Menon surprised me a little bit. I thought he might go, but at the same time, he clearly wasn't 100% down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have his degree yet. So no, I think that was a big deal, too. I, I do, too. So I'm not shocked that he's coming back, and kind of the same with Fryermuth, quite honestly. I think that... Mm-hmm. definitely he's gone next year. I don't think there's any question about that unless he gets hurt. But to come back for another year, add some weight, this is a fairly, you know, I think he would have been in the top three tight ends taken, but I don't know when that first guy will go off the board this year. So you put it all together, and it's not terribly shocking for either one of those guys to come back, nor is it surprising that Etor is going to go. The question now is Penn State has, what, 28 class of 2020 <laughs> commitments? Right, they yeah. got to shed roster space somehow. That's what's going to be interesting to follow over the next couple of weeks and even month to come is how are they going to shed right. enough space between the portal and the draft to get down the 85 scholarship players? Yeah, and with Manic coming back, I think you can. I think it's safe. To, we could take a look at the offensive line and project it. It looks like it's going to be pretty good. You have Manit at center. Miranda can play guard. C.J. Thorpe can play guard. You got Rasheed Walker. I think I would. I'm guessing Will Fries is not going anywhere, even though I wouldn't think yeah, so. I, yeah. I just don't know what the upside is for him leaving and foregoing his final year. You know, he he clearly. I think the Ohio State game was probably a little bit of an eye opener for him yeah. when he got matched against Chase Young. So I think you could look at the offensive line as a strength for sure in 2020 with all those guys back. They really feel like maybe all five starters are back. They're going to lose Steven Gonzalez, but they have played Miranda and Thorpe a lot this year probably with an eye towards next year. Yeah, they love what they got out of Des Holmes, I think, for right. much of his season. A couple of the younger interior offensive linemen have made nice strides. So, But, you know, again, I, I hesitate to get too yeah. amped up about it because we've done that before. Transfer and then it, portal. Well, I mean, that's played a role too. But it's just, I think to me, it's more about, again, it's very hard to trust that this offensive line is going to do everything you want it to do. I think it's actually been better than what most people give it credit for this season. But, again, at times – you know, it struggled against the best teams, and that's been a theme of really the James Franklin era. Yeah. Okay, so we teased the fact that Etor was named first team All-Big Ten. Uh, a little earlier this week, they named the defensive and special teams guys. Mm-hmm. As we talk about this, the offense has not been named. Uh, and really, the, the big news for Penn State is Micah Parsons, who yeah. first team All-Big Ten linebacker coaches and media. Also, the I want to make sure I have this right, the Butkus Fitzgerald linebacker right. of the year the ninth yep. year they've they've given a linebacker of the year award third penn state guy to get named first sophomore ever to win the award mm-hmm. he joins the company of michael mowdy and mike hull greg for a guy that didn't really start last year and for a guy that really wasn't on a lot of national radar as this kind of player let's just talk a little bit about the year that he's had yeah no question i mean he's been terrific for a person that's only played linebacker for two seasons and right. both of those that come at the you know level of college football he's playing, it's pretty darn impressive. 95 tackles, I believe. 95 with. tackles, yep. yes. And, I mean, he was more more often than not Penn State's best defender game in and game yeah. out. So I'm with you. I didn't think it was the case until you mentioned it, I think, on the way up to State College Rutgers week. But he has as good a shot to win the Buckus Award as anybody on that list. Yeah, I the mean, Clemson guy's going to be tough to beat. The Wisconsin guy's good. But Mike is really, I think, I mean, you just look at him and if he just continues to develop. I mean, he is a genuine yes. first-round talent, maybe even a high pick. There there have been some linebackers go very high in the draft, but his development really is kind of, you know, been off the charts good. And as James – I don't think James Franklin is blowing smoke when he says right. he hasn't even scratched the surface 
of his potential. What stood out the most to you about his year this year? Yeah, I just think it was, again, the development of the mental side of the game and playing more with an understanding of where plays were going to end up as opposed to just seeing it and reacting and just being so athletic that he'd end up in the right place kind of by happenstance. I think we saw this year that he was very good when it came to being there because he knew where it was going to go as opposed to reacting to when uh, he saw things take place. So yeah, and just I think he grew as a, a pass rusher a bit too. They tried that a bit more last year, but toward the end of the season, I think there was a game at home toward the end of the year where they blitzed him a ton and he yeah. didn't really get home. He got home more this year, yeah. impacted more plays. To say he took a stride in the right direction, I think all those linebackers did. I thought Cam Brown had a nice year, yeah. Jan Johnson too, and, and Mike is certainly probably atop that list. There was a play late in the regular season that he almost made, but mm-hmm. he couldn't because the ball got away. His closing speed, his game speed, it just stands out to me at 245 pounds. There was a play in the Indiana game where Peyton Ramsey Mm -hmm. was running for his life to get away from Micah Parsons, and he was running the other way. And Micah almost, you know, there was like a 10-yard gap, and Micah had almost closed it before he threw the ball away. Yeah, Just the, the physical nature of his game and the speed at which he plays, I just think, are what stood out to me. No matter who was on the other side of the field, he was the better player. I think, more often than not. Uh And we talked at the beginning of the year about how we'd like him to seem a little bit more disruptive after last year, and he was. I think he he more than doubled his tackles for loss. He did get a couple of sacks, Mm -hmm. a couple of, I think, forced fumbles. But his numbers, he's got 95 tackles, got a great shot at 100. And, yeah, he just needs to continue to develop. You and I know, I don't know the fan base times, He's really a refreshing guy to talk to yeah. after games. Like mm-hmm. you never know what he's going to say, right? But he's always kind of got a smile on his face, and he and he'll, he'll kind of you know play a little bit with the media, no matter what you want to ask him, right? Yeah, he is a very interesting personality. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so Etor and Micah Parsons, first team, both coaches and media, a little bit of a surprise and a pleasant surprise. Shaka Tony, second team defensive line coaches. I think Windsor, Robert Windsor, and Cam Brown were. Third team coaches and Tariq Castro Fields was a uh, corner. Third team media. I hope I didn't miss anyone as far Gary as. Gary Taylor was an honorable mention. Yeah, I believe, yeah. There right? were a yeah. bunch of guys that were honorable mention. I just meant the first three teams. Yeah, I thought that Tariq Castro Fields' inclusion was interesting. I yes. thought, I mean, he had an okay year. I don't know if it was all Big Ten third team good, but that's how the voting goes. Not quite a member of the TCF. Fan club. I thought he had a nice year, know, but I, it, I didn't think I it rose you. to that level. I, was, I, I think that Shaka Tony, I think. We talked about the most the players who have developed the most. Mm-hmm. We talked about Journey Brown. We talked about Lamont Wade, who was an honorable mention, pick coaches and media. But I think I think we probably got to throw Shaka Tony in there. Really, he's playing at a very high level. And I think I hate to say it because as a media member who voted, I think the coaches team I think carries more weight. Agree you? Yeah. In, in this and for them to, to recognize him as essentially a top eight defensive lineman in the Big Ten, I think that really speaks volumes for his development. Disruptive player. Mm-hmm. Greg, I, I, you know, as we talk about this now, we talked about players staying and going. I'm really not sure about him. My initial reaction is he's thinking probably long and hard maybe about leaving, especially right. now that he got this recognition. You know, I think he is a pass rusher, a pure pass rusher, and yep. that's what the league's looking for. Yeah. Your thoughts just on him. Yeah, there's a use for him for sure. And, you know, the biggest thing he's had trouble with at Penn State is keeping weight on. It seemed like he yeah. played most of this season at the weight that he's been destined right. to play at. So I think the question is, does he want to come back and put one more year like that on film? Right. Maybe have a year kind of like Etor and rise his stock that way? Or does he want to go now and take his chances with where he ends up? That's the question that him and his family and whoever right. else is advising him will have to decide on. I think that he'd probably be best served to come back for another year. But I, 
I don't know if the reward would be so great that it would mean you, it would be nuts to go to the NFL at this point. I would just point out that if he comes back next year, Etor Gross Matos isn't on the other side. Right. So I think this might be – you look at his numbers and they were good, but he also had a chance to make more plays, and it wasn't his fault. But the effort he played with this yeah. year I thought was very, very impressive. I think mm-hmm. he's a guy to watch very closely as he makes his decision. And, Greg, usually the rule of thumb is the longer they wait yeah. to make their decision, I think you got to lean towards maybe players who might be thinking about – Agreed. Yeah, I think there's some guys, and KJ Han- and again, we're taping this yes. Wednesday, December, what is today, 5th, 4th, I don't know. You're close. But close enough. I think there's some guys, as we talk right now, KJ Hamler being one of them, Shaka Tony being another one, that probably want to get some of that NFL draft advisory yeah. board feedback in January. So I think you might end up, yeah. um, you know, or I think it comes late December. Either way, some of these guys might hold out and see, kind of get some more feel for where things stand by the end of the bowl game before deciding. Okay, before we get to the second half of our video and uh-huh. our podcast, I think you have something you would like That's to say to right. our audience. The Penn State Blitz, it's continuing through bowl season, the podcast. It's never it's, going. I don't think it's, it's going ever away. going away. It's That's right. Away. So you can find it wherever you get your audio. Apple, Stitcher, Google. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. It comes out Wednesday if you subscribe. Otherwise, you can get it Thursday morning, uh, the podcast on Penn Live. Same goes for the videos, youtube.com slash State. Get the Blitz, get this week in Penn State football, and uh, some more recruiting and bowl talk as we get closer to both of those big days. Well done, Gregory. Let's move right along to the college football playoffs. Penn State is in the top 10. I'm not sure where they're playing yet. A lot of things things are going to shake out on Championship Saturday, which is coming up quickly. But just you've been following this very closely. Just your thoughts on where they are. Anything that surprised you in the in I guess six, seven, eight, nine, ten range, yeah. and do you want to talk about maybe who the final four are going to be? Yeah, at this point, we'll save the more specific bowl game talk. I think to the second half of the podcast uh-huh, or the uh-huh. this week in Penn State video. But as it relates to the penultimate top twenty-five, first of all, let me just get on my soapbox for a minute and say this committee is clueless. It really is. It has you cannot draw a straight line week to week between the things it drops Minnesota 10 spots for losing to Wisconsin. I know they've got blown out, but you know, it jumps Florida over Penn state, whether that has to do with the way Penn state beat Rutgers or not. I don't know, but they didn't really have a good explanation for it uh, during the teleconference that took place following the rankings reveal. I mean, you know, is Wisconsin going to drop two spots if it loses to Ohio State, I think there's an argument on one hand that says they have three losses. On the other hand, they very likely are going to have two of them against the number one team in the country. How do you evaluate that? So I guess my main takeaway, Bob, Penn State at number 10 going into this weekend's conference championship mm-hmm. games. You can you can sit here and say all you want that Penn State might be guaranteed this, that, or the other thing. I don't think you can trust a committee to use the same logic and rationale week <laughs> to week. And because of that, I think we're going to wake up Sunday morning and truly not know where Penn State's playing until those announcements are made. Yeah, just a couple of things real quick. You are not, sir, invited to Rob Mullen's holiday party. Added to the list with uh, Jim or no Paul Chris. He's the, he's I believe. the, com- the commissioner yeah. of the, of the yep. playoffs that you just trashed and bashed. Yeah, You're, he just revoked your invite. But you know what? I like the fact that you're taking a stand. I, it, doesn't it feel like to you that the margin of victory in the Big Ten championship game? might ultimately decide where Penn State goes. I mean, it, it certainly could, but Rob Mullins gave Wisconsin credit last night for a close loss to Illinois as a four-touchdown <laughs> favorite, Bob. I mean, what what sense does that make? Who cares if it was a close loss? It's an Illinois team that just lost to Northwestern. Uh, just, it makes no... I, I, so, 
it, again, logically, yes, I do think yeah. that would play a role. Will it? Your guess would be as good as mine. <laughs> you seem flabbergasted. I, I am. That's that is the, the perfect word. That is the perfect word because, again, if they're going to credit give credit to Wisconsin for a close loss right. to Illinois mm-hmm. as a Illinois, touchdown yeah. favorite, mm-hmm. then who knows what they're going to do. They could move Penn State back over Florida for all we know, even though neither one of them play. All right, so Penn State's 10, is yes. Florida 9, nine and Wisconsin's, Wisconsin's 8. eight. Yep. Uh, who's your fourth team? We, let, let's just get for the playoff. Yeah, who's your fourth team? I honestly think that if Georgia beats LSU, Georgia's in. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it's LSU, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson. And Ohio State surely stays at number one mm-hmm. in that case. Um, if LSU beats Georgia and Utah wins the Pac-12 title game, I think they're in. Otherwise, I think it's status quo. If Utah loses, the state top four as they are now stay the same. Georgia beats LSU, they stay the same. LSU beats Georgia and Utah wins. It's in. <laughs> you got all that? If Wisconsin beats Ohio State, what happens to Ohio State? What a mess. They stay in. <laughs> they stay in, but it will get hairy at that point. What about Virginia beats Clemson, Bob? You want to talk about that too? He's so flabbergasted. I've never seen him like this. It's great. All right. Moving right along. You vented. Uh, Mullen has heard you, I hope, somewhere yeah. in the stratosphere. He's somewhere sitting, talking in very short sentences about comparing teams that are close together in the rankings. I love I love this new side of Greg Pickle. I hope it for 2020. I want to see more of this. I think the fans do it's too. It's a New Year's let's resolution. Let's keep it up. Okay, let's get to the Penn State mailbag now that you're off your soapbox. What do you have? First question: the uh, there was a report that came out today on Wednesday that said Pennsylvanians bought five and a half million dollars worth of mini Fireball bottles this past <laughs> year. And I'm just curious, Bob, where are you hiding all of those? Well, I you know I didn't I didn't empty the bank account. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, I do believe in buying in bulk. So let's just say I may have contributed to that total amount okay, of money good. spent on, on the fireball. All right. Serious questions now. When you look to wherever Penn State's going to end up, could be any number of places as we sit here and talk about it going in the conference championship weekend. Where would you like to see Penn State play and why? Cotton, let's say, let's say oh, the, the choices yeah. are the Cotton Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl. And the Outback Bowl. And we'll get to why those choices remain. Uh, I didn't know there were that many bit. choices. I, I kind of had it down to the rose and the orange, but I could be, could be wrong. Well, so where it gets messy is is if, a, if Georgia drops out of the playoff race, then they go to the Sugar Bowl, which means Florida, assuming it stays ahead of Penn State, goes yeah. to the Orange Bowl. And if Wisconsin stays ahead of Penn State, it yeah. goes to – we're ruining the next segment, but it goes to the, <laughs> the orange. So uh, it's just – it's a mess at this point. We'll get into it in a second. Yeah. Where would you like to go, Bob? I Dallas, like Florida, s- Florida, or yeah. California? So, it's just a selfish – this is a selfish answer, but I'm a selfish person. I would like to see them go to the Orange Bowl. Um, that way maybe we could bunk in Fort Lauderdale. There's the Bermani Brothers. Yes. A full-service Bermani Brothers in Fort Lauderdale. There's a nice little area. It's, it's a lot la- more laid back than my, and cheaper than Miami, I would vote for Fort Lauderdale right. and the Orange Bowl. I don't think the the problem is if they go, I don't think they'll be playing in a very the, their opponent. I don't think will actually get the Penn State fan base excited. But I would say this, Greg, if they would play Oregon in the Rose, Rose Bowl, Bowl. Yep. it'd be the 25 year anniversary of the '94 team's victory over Ooh, Oregon to John nice Carter. But I just don't know if that gets the fan base excited either. I don't. I, I think the fan base wants to see. The best matchup possible. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to see a great matchup in the Rose Bowl or even in the Orange Bowl. So maybe, maybe, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm starting to get a little flabbergasted. Now you've thrown me off. 
my game. He started talking to me about fireball. Could be I, don't, the, I don't. I don't know what up and da- I don't know the difference between up and down. It could be the Jawan Johnson orange. Uh, um, it could Rose be. Ball. We'll get into that. All right. Last question for you before we get into our second video and segment of the Blitz and the podcast. Sean Clifford sits out. Yitor Grossmano uh. sits out. Um, it, the last game of the year. Do you think both of those guys play? I know we talked about Etor, and it seems like his health might be the biggest impediment there. Right. But just watching so- Sean Clifford's mannerisms and listening to James Franklin yes. talk about him, do you think Sean Clifford plays in the bowl game? And will Noah Kane be 99% or better <laughs> you for, are, oh, you're fired up. for the bowl game? This is the slowest healing lower leg injury yeah. I've ever seen. Safety so, first, I just guess. Just real but. quick. So Michigan State early. He starts the game, two series, comes out. We didn't really see him get hurt. It's a lower leg. We think it's, we think it's, it's obviously maybe an ankle sprain or a high ankle sprain. <laughs> so they have a bye week. Then they play Minnesota. He doesn't play in that game. And, and James reveals afterwards that he was 90%. And they could have they, they played him, but right. they had other guys that were healthy. He still really hasn't played. I think he's gotten one carry. And James said after the Rutgers game that he was still kind of dealing with something. Uh, I think he's going to be healthy for the bowl game. Sean's the more interesting question. I was fascinated by Franklin's answer to uh, how they treated him right. for the Rutgers game and the fact that when they decided not to play him, if they were going to get him ready to play, they were going to play him against Rutgers, even a little bit. He said that it sounded like they would have treated him one way, right. but when they made the determination that he wasn't going to play, they treated him differently. And I'm just wondering, without being a doctor or a, a member of a medical staff, you just wonder what, what, what they did right. or what they're doing to him to try and get him ready for the bowl game. But I think this injury, he talked about the fact that if they didn't do what they did, the injury was never going to go away. So I think this is a little bit more significant of an injury than we really realized. Yeah, it seems that way. And you just wonder, not to try and compare apples to apples, yeah. but did he maybe go the route that Trace McSorley didn't go last year? Because you know Trace, Trace obviously was banged up for a lot of that right. second half of that season. Sean has been too. James, I think, has been mentioning since the Minnesota game that he's not mm-hmm. 100%. So just wonder if they maybe didn't say, hey, let's get this cleaned up now, get you back for the bowl game. And, you know, whatever that means, you're right. It was a very interesting answer that indicated maybe this was a little bit more serious or maybe the procedure was a little bit more in depth or drawn out than whatever they were going to do otherwise. So we'll see. It's curious because Tommy Stevens had a lower leg issue that they kind of could have handled one way, they handled it another way, and then at the end of the day, he ended up going, I think, he got treated by somebody else. So right. I wonder if there's a lesson to be learned in there as well for Penn State and Franklin and maybe how they're approaching Sean. I think they definitely want to try and get him ready for the bowl game, but if he's at 85%, I right. mean, what do you and, – and you risk maybe – Playing him and getting him, you know, banged up again for spring practice. What's what's the move? He wants to play clearly, but I think I think James is looking at the big picture with Sean. Even though they like the 230 pound redshirt freshman who's not afraid to run the ball on every play, Will Levis. We'll be back after this. Okay, the Penn State Blitz podcast moves on. I'm Bob Flounders. Talking to, hopefully he's cooled down, a little bit animated, a little bit flabbergasted, Greg Pickle. He's just not happy with the with the playoff rankings committee, and I don't blame him. Good for you, Greg. I want to see more of this in 2020. Picks and predictions, mm-hmm. no Penn State pick, so that's weird. But let's talk a little bit about some picks for some championship games, and let's just talk a little bit more about what Penn State needs maybe to happen for them to go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, so I think at this point, if uh, Utah beats Oregon, 
Yep. They'll have a chance to get into the college football playoff. I don't know how great of a chance it is. And if Georgia beats LSU, then they have no chance at all. But if LSU beats Georgia, Utah beats Oregon, then I think we have a shot at seeing Utah get in, uh, Georgia drop out. And what that would do is close off Penn State's path to the Orange Bowl completely and probably to the, the Cotton Bowl too. But if Oregon beats Utah or if Georgia stays in, then the Orange Bowl, it's still a really tough um, sledding, I think, for Penn State to get into the Orange Bowl because Georgia would have to stay in the four. That means Florida would go to the Sugar Bowl. And that would open up the Orange Bowl to Penn State. But to your original question about the Rose Bowl, um, I think it just comes down to margin of victory in Ohio State, Wisconsin. You can say that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's weird because will the Rose Bowl take a three-loss team over a two-loss Penn State? I I don't know the answer to that. They can select whoever they want. They don't have to follow the college football playoff rankings. Now, I think they're advised very strongly that they should, but they don't have to. Wisconsin's had a longer Rose Bowl drought than Mm -hmm. Penn State has. Maybe that plays into it. What if Wisconsin plays Ohio State close? I still feel like the most likely landing spot for the Lions, Bob, is Pasadena and the Rose Bowl, but it it doesn't feel like as much of a guarantee as it did at this time last week. Yeah, for me, I I just think that, look, Penn State or Ohio State and Wisconsin met once at Ohio State. I think it was 45-7 or 38. It was was a blowout. It was like four touchdowns. I think the case for, you make for Wisconsin is if they can play Ohio State to within two touchdowns or less, but that's their only shot. I mean, if they win, obviously they're going to they're they're going to go. But I think the committee has to look at the fact that Penn State only lost by eleven to Ohio State and Columbus, and I think that's a number that I would keep in mind as I watch this this game play out because that game I think means more to Penn State's yeah. chances than say a, if Wisconsin loses twice by seventeen or more. The argument to put Wisconsin, I think, in the Rose Bowl does not seem very fair to me. Right. We'll see. You mentioned the Illinois loss on the road. That's a bad loss. It just it just is. Yeah. Penn State, uh, yes, Wisconsin beat Minnesota in the championship game. You know, Penn State played Minnesota very tough, had a chance to win. They just didn't play their best game. We'll see. I think the Rose Bowl still, if I had to rank them, I think the Rose Bowl is, I think, the most likely, yeah. the most likely bowl destination. I would say one one is Rose Bowl, two is Cotton Bowl, three is Orange Bowl, four is the Outback Bowl at Ooh. this point. So, I, and I don't think uh, we talked about it a little bit before we got on here, but I, I it, it seems to me that a New Year's Six Bowl is pretty <laughs> Top well. Ten team goes to the Outback, yeah, the Outback Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, it seems to me that the uh, the New Year's Six Bowl is pretty well short at this yeah. point. I know we've been talking a lot today, so let's get to our picks and predictions. I'll I, go first. Oregon for me. Oregon covers, does not beat Utah, but it covers. Uh, Wisconsin does not beat Ohio State, but it covers. And my only reasoning there is I think they're going to be in a hurry to get Justin Fields out of that game. As soon as they get some kind of comfortable, maybe three, four touchdown lead, they just think the back door is going to be wide open for that entire game. So I think Wisconsin covers, I think Oregon covers, and I think LSU covers against Georgia. I don't know how Georgia's going to score in that game. I don't think Jake Fromm is good enough to play well without Mm -hmm. two of his best receivers. One guy's out for the first half. I think the other guy's out for the whole game, the receivers. Yeah. So I don't know how they score. So give me LSU as a favorite and the two dogs in Oregon and Wisconsin. LSU is minus seven. I think Ohio State's minus 16 and a half. Yep. And you said uh, Utah is at six and a half? Yes. Okay. I think Utah's a pretty good team. I don't know that Oregon can stay with them for 60 minutes. They they play some grown man football. They do. Okay. Utah, I don't know that Oregon's really ready for what's going to happen at the line of scrimmage. We'll see. Justin Herbert can be a little bit flighty. One thing I want to point out for the Big Ten championship game is, and you talked about Fields' health, 
The one other thing that I would I would say is Ohio State has just played Penn State mm-hmm. and they just played Michigan, yeah. two physical games, and now they're going to play a third physical game in a row. The number two, the, the running back for Ohio State, Dobbins, J.K. Dobbins has what a five thousand carries, thirty six. I think it was thirty six carries against Penn State. I think he had more yeah. against Michigan. If you think Fields is beat up, yeah. I think J.K. Dobbins is a little beat up too. They have a good backup. I think Wisconsin is catching Ohio State uh, in terms of freshness at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. I think the last two weeks have taken a lot out of them. I'll be curious to see if they're playing with the same speed and if Dobbins is 100%. I know Fields isn't. There's a case you could make that Wisconsin makes this game maybe a little bit closer because it was a close game going into the third quarter. Yeah. I think that I think the Wisconsin in the points is probably the right play, especially with Ohio State's love of putting the ball on the ground the last few weeks. Yeah, but uh, that's just a couple of things I've noticed about I, Dobbins has carried the ball, you know, almost seventy-five times in the last two weeks, and they're gonna if Fields is hurt, they're gonna ask him to carry the ball a lot right. against Wisconsin. Just something to watch for. Now, if Ohio State wins forty-five to three, we'll just forget just, we ever said any just, of this. Just burn the video. Just burn yeah. this. Burn this special edition of this week in Penn State football and. Uh, Never listen to me again. Just listen to you. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.